Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I am your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And really, media is all of our business. And Baya Unger Sargon, she is a uh, frequent guest on my program, not as frequent as I'd like because she's one of the busiest people in media. Uh, she's a phenomenal author. Her book is one of my favorites. It's one of the ones I've been geeking out about a lot lately. And um, she is also an editor at Newsweek. She is the deputy, deputy opinion editor there. And uh, which they've got a lot going on that's very interesting in the opinion front. Newsweek is really not your traditional, um, in my opinion, that might be a good topic for us today, by the way, but yeah, uh, is not mm -hmm. a traditional, uh, in the modern sense of the word, news magazine. It, it's become very different. Uh, out there, and uh, maybe talking about that difference, which I think has a lot to do with both the opinion editor and the deputy editor editors. It's a, <laughs> uh, an interesting and diverse and respectful group. So, if you're game with that, why don't we talk about that today? Yeah, sure. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I love these chats. I love coming on your show, and I love the opportunity to talk about things with you. Well, you can listen to my other interviews, and I, I do not frequently say one of my favorite guests, but you are one of my favorite guests. I love having you on, and I always have a really good good time. Um, you're, 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 you're frankly very interesting. You're kind, of, uh, you're kind of hard to sometimes figure out because you are very independent <laughs> in the way you look at things, and you say things like you're progressive, but you have almost a populist form of progressivism that looks decades old. It doesn't seem modern. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's an interesting thing yeah, to, yeah. to listen to. Is that is that well, ring I really with you? appreciate ring that. Thank you. Um, you know, I, yeah, I do definitely feel like I have more in common with the kind of like old labor left than today's progressive left because today's progressive left seems to me very taken up with issues that only matter to the elites and they seem to me to have really abandoned the working class. And you can see this in their posture on like a whole host of issues, you know, things like immigration, um, you know, defund the police, like all of this stuff, like it, it really, you know, the environmentalism, you like, this is the kind of stuff that makes elites feel really good about themselves. But then, you know, it's like a tax on the working class. So yeah, I, I do <laughs> feel like I have more in common with kind of like an older left. And interestingly, you're yeah. seeing a lot of that on the right these days, that kind of populist energy. So there's like a real scrambling happening. And, you know, something I've been thinking about a lot this week, because, you know, looking at the reaction to the raid on Mar-a-Lago, what you have is the left kind of cheering on what looks at this point like, you know, prosecutorial overreach and cheering on the Espionage Act, which are things that like the left has always been against. And meanwhile, you have the right calling for like abolishing law enforcement, abolishing the FBI. You know, Trump is really yeah. good at scrambling things, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you didn't believe in biblical ap uh, apocrypha, you know, I mean, apocalyptic futures before, everything in the news on a daily basis looks like, wow, is this the end? I mean, I, my head spins on, uh, on this. And uh, it's, it's an issue. Yeah, you're almost like uh, Hubert Humphrey in your ideology. Does that resonate? Like what? Hubert Humphrey, the former senator oh, from... Oh, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of old school, uh, yeah. you know, fundamentally still believe that people wanted to work which I don't think progressives really believe that. 
Yeah, definitely. And when you talk to working class Americans, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, this will resonate with them. You know, the the thing you hear the most is, you know, people talk about the dignity of labor. They talk about autonomy. Like they don't want to be living, um, you know, at the on the generosity of like rich liberals. They don't want handouts. Like they want their jobs to pay well so that they can support their families. And really neither side seems to be offering that. You know, the left wants everybody to be living on some form of welfare if you're not rich. And the right kind of believes in this trickle-down stuff that I think a lot of working-class people will tell you has not worked for them. Nobody is offering them, you know, that exactly like what you just said. People want to work, and they want work that gives them dignity. And and that's really what I stand for. Yeah, and when you talk to average Americans, blue-collar Americans, if you want to call them that, um, you know, they're not talking about how they can uh, maximize the system whatever that is, right? They're talking about those who are maximizing the system at the general economies and their personal prosperity's expense. That's what they talk about. You know, they're angry about how the system's set up to undermine them and uh, undermine their opportunity and yeah. uh, really undermine a system that allows them to climb up an economic ladder. That was one thing that made America unique from uh, United States unique from other con- countries is that we had upward mobility. That's really been squashed. Yeah, and it's uh, it's very upsetting because, um, you know, the, the, the American dream um, is really, it just really seems out of reach for so many Americans at this point. And that, that used to be the thing that we were most proud of. And now it's something that everybody has all but given up on. I mean, home ownership is just totally out of reach for the vast majority of Americans at this point. First time home ownership, the price of housing is so high, interest rates growing up. The stock of available housing is um, about 4 million homes short of what we need. And um, it's just devastating that we've accepted as just a fait accompli that most Americans are no longer going to be able to own their own home. The thing that, you know, we used to think was like the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit, uh, you know, I, I mentioned, I mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, the fact that you have a very unique uh, group of opinion editors and I think it is different. I mean, you, you're, I, I actually saw uh, your, the, the opinion editor, you're a deputy editor. I saw the opinion. Is that Josh, right? Josh Hammer? Yes, yes. Yeah, I saw him on a Heritage, Heritage Foundation podcast, and he's very conservative. And that kind of like struck me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that struck me as really interesting. And, you know, I, I look at him and listen to him, and he is kind of a classical liberal, right? Uh, it's really important for us to have free thinking in that. And, you know, a lot of conservatives identify themselves as classical liberals or, you know, in, liber- in that kind of libertarian quadrant of classical liberalism. Yes, limited government, free enterprise, uh, but really important to have free thought as well, which probably lends to the diversity of the opinion uh, team you have. I don't think Josh would identify as a liberal of any kind. He's very, very, very conservative, and um, he he really does believe that the government should be um, sort of much more, I think, even religious in nature. And so he's really conservative, but he 100% believes in open open discourse and dialogue and debate. He's the most supportive 
boss I've ever had. He will stand by us and he tells us to pursue our interests. And, you know, we, we all in the opinion team publish things that make the other editors, each of us has our things and we, we have our writers and we publish things that make the other editors see red. And that's the point, you know, that is the job. And um, he really has created an amazing, amazing team um, to host the sort of like vast, radical diversity of American thought in our pages. It's, it's really great. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, see, and I guess I'm now buying into the conventional wisdom that conservatives are, you know, authoritarian, right? Uh, we no longer like free speech. <laughs> so, so I'm buying into that. I guess what I mean by, by small L liberal, I don't mean big L liberal, believing in liberty and that that would be liberty of thought is what I was uh, alluding to, which, you know, includes free speech. So talk about the diversity of, of opinion that you see in your, uh, in your editors and, and that in the, particularly in the opinion uh, editors, uh, the deputies. So um, at, at, we have two conservative opinion editors, Josh Hammer, my boss, and then Phil Jeffrey. And then we have three of us who are sort of more on the left. Um, Ramson Shamon is brilliant, Jason Fields, who's also wonderful, and myself. And, you know, so there, it's funny because so Josh and I are both more on the populist side. So he's conservative and I'm a lefty, but we overlap in terms of the populism. Right. But then we have, you know, um, it just, we just really we really represent the spectrum and we each have our concerns, the things we care about. I'm very focused on elevating the voices of working class Americans. I also work with a lot of black conservative writers and moderate writers, the kind of people that you don't hear from who are actually much more representative of their community. Um, you know, we, we just have, try to really, really have that radical diversity to, to more accurately reflect what America looks like. And how would you uh, describe the other two liberals? Uh, say, Ron In terms of their, their you know, because, you know, there are these... Uh, the elite liberals that are pretty much ubiquitous now in media, you know, so how, how would you describe them? Um, Ramson's more focused on international um, things, international topics. Um, and then Jason is, he, I would say he represents kind of where the, you know, you're, you're sort of like the median democratic voter is at. So, you know, he and I would disagree probably a lot in terms of climate change, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, we would disagree about other issues like that. And he's really there to make sure that the, that sec sector of the American population also gets to have their say at Newsweek. Interesting. Yeah, this is a very different approach, a very different approach to, um, you know, an, an opinion page in media today, wouldn't you say, your, your, your team? I mean, most, most yeah. media publications are terrified of anyone with uh, conservative as part of their description. Absolutely, and I'll tell you something else. Even though we have three left-wing editors and two right-wing editors, Newsweek is often now called a right-wing publication because we dare to have both, you know, like that, yeah. that's what's so funny. It used to be that like debate and discourse used to be a liberal value, right? Today, if you have liberals and conservatives, you're going to be coded as conservative. That's the irony here. Yeah, you know, it's interesting what it reminds me of, Newsweek reminds me of, is U.S. News and World Reports 30 years ago. It had uh -huh. that kind of... 
you know, that, that commitment to a real diversity of opinion. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, and back then it wasn't as terrifying to be conservative, you know, and so I don't think they even uh, marginalized it as a, as a conservative publication, but it was the one that had more conservative content than any of the other national uh, media uh, sites. Unfortunately, they gave up. Uh, that perspective other than online, you know, and now it's almost entirely in the list business. But I loved, I loved uh, uh, U.S. News and World Reports. It was one of my favorite uh, magazines. I really love what's going on with Newsweek. It's, we, the thing about it, 80% of the time, if you're reading a major national publication, you're reading pretty much the exact same perspective, just different yeah. words being used. 100%. It, it's very lockstep, very lockstep, don't you think? Yeah, and you know there was a recent story about an editor getting um, essentially sidelined and disciplined for you know daring to you know tweet something about how there's a difference between men and women, and he was one of the only people who was um, hosting um, conservative opinion. So now you, USA Today is essentially the same you know liberal drivel that you'll find at the New York Times, like to, to the exclusion of everything else. It's just very sad and the balkanization of opinion. So. You know, but 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 honestly, you know, there are other people doing this in the conservative media, which is so funny. So last week, Tucker Carlson was on vacation, and one of the days he was out, he had Tulsi Gabbard subbing for him. Now, remember that Tulsi Gabbard, as recently as two years ago, was a Democratic um, presidential candidate, right? You would never have the opposite on a liberal station, right? CNN would never let some, you know, Marco Rubio <laughs> co-host a show on vacation. Yeah. So I just think it's super interesting how things have shifted um, to where you'll see liberals and Democrats and leftists on Fox, but you will not see conservatives and Republicans and Trump supporters on CNN or MSNBC. Yeah, it is interesting to me. Talk a little bit about what the opinion has been of uh, particularly longtime Newsweek readers uh, in terms of the, the difference in the editorial approach. What, what kind of feedback are you getting? And, and Newsweek has gone through a lot of changes. It's been kind of a scary ride for around 20 years, wouldn't you say? Um, yeah, it's been, I mean, I've only been at Newsweek for a couple of years. Everything's been very uh, <laughs> calm since I've been there. But um, yeah, definitely that, you I mean, the, the, the media landscape is shifting very radically in America. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think all in bad ways. I mean, I think that there's a sort of mass consumer boycott going on Americans have extremely low trust in the media right now, as they should. It's, most of it is terrible. Um, you know, but it's, it, there's a lot in there that you don't need to know. I mean, there's, you know, for, to uncover left-wing corruption, you have the right-wing media. To uncover right-wing corruption, you have the left-wing media. And, 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 you know, there isn't a lot else in there that, that Americans need, I would say. You know, there's not a lot you can get from the media that you can't get from going to church or going to synagogue or walking down to the local bodega, asking the owner what's new, what's going on in the neighborhood. And I, I think people are choosing to get their news that way, and I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, well, i got to tell you, my, my favorite left-wing media critic is you. And I mean oh, that. That's and I, so kind I, of you. <laughs> I consume my my passion. Kind of is uh, media accountability. I, I have uh -huh. great passion around that, and so I read a lot about who's doing what and who has what to say. And frankly, no one touches left wing 
media, and I don't, it's not so much corruption, but uh, although I think it's led to that, I don't think it's intentional. I think it's kind of an ivory, ivory tower where they don't even realize how disconnected they are from reality is what it feels like. And that's what really a lot of what you described. Nobody yeah. does it better than you. Nobody. Thank you. Period. I really appreciate that, Kevin. It's funny because yeah. I get a lot of flack for it. And, you know, like on Friday, I think I, I tweeted something like, um, you know, that you now right after the warrant for the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago came out, um, I tweeted something like, okay, n now the experts don't have any more information than you do. Like the average American now has exactly as much information as every person claiming to be an expert on Twitter, on cable news. So they can't tell you how big of a security breach the documents represented and whether the raid was justified. You have to read the warrant and make that decision for yourself. You should have seen and, and now the they don't raid. want you to see the warrant. Now they don't want you to totally, see the warrant. By totally. The way. Totally. <laughs> but 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 I mean you should have just seen the rage from the commentariat class, the you know, the expert class and they came after me for saying that. You know, how dare you suggest that the average American is equipped to understand this? That's what we're for. They started saying that what I said was the opposite of journalism. Ooh. And I was like, they were so angry at the suggestion that the average American is just as equipped as they are to make these decisions, that these are questions of judgment, and that they have no right to tell people what to think because they don't have more information than them. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. And the Justice Department has made it clear uh, that uh, they want less information out there. They do not want more information out there. Me, I can't stand Donald Trump. I've made that clear. I think he's dangerous on so many different levels. Um, I think it's very dangerous, though, for the FBI to have overreach. I, I found it fascinating that George Will, who is a traditional conservative, he's kind of like what a Will conservative looked like <laughs> forever, say, yeah, this is this kind of weird. This is beyond the realm of normal. We've never seen anything like this. And if you're going to do something like this with a former president, you better have a huge amount of transparency in that process. We haven't seen any of that. It's been very opaque. And so that does make me nervous. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, and I have to not let my personal disdain for Trump, personal may be too strong of a word, but it feels personal, uh, cloud my view on the whole situation. I, I, I think if they were doing this to Hillary Clinton, because that, the, the argument being used in Trump was very similar to arguments that were used in regards to Hillary or even with Hunter Biden, and they were doing similar things with them, I'd probably feel better about the process, and it wouldn't look so agenda and bias-oriented. Right, but the fact that you're able to separate your personal political opinions from your judgment of the thing, that's very rare. I mean, I feel like too few people can do that. I appreciate that. But let me tell you, it took a lot of work. I was kind of very ambivalent about what was going on at first. George Will really was persuasive to me because I know he feels very similar to I do. But it's fundamentally, is this good for the government to do? No. The way they're doing it, I'm not saying they're, they're wrong, but the way they're doing it is certainly wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I, felt, I feel similar to you. And I, um, you know, I, I also I was find myself leaning on the Wall Street Journal. I've never seen anything in the Wall Street Journal that I didn't think was true and they've really taken a hard line against this and they made a really good point, which is that, you know, any attack on a former and possible future president is inherently political. So to say this was not political, that's just false. You know, it's a question of like what political import it had. I thought that was a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're about to run out of time and I didn't even talk about one of my favorite books, 
which is your book on the media. I read books on the media all the time. In fact, you know, I'm se- I send you unsolicited, and you're always kind to say thank you, stuff I'm reading that is media-related, you know, and, and co- goes into your wheelhouse. But your book is awesome. Take a moment to talk about it and how people can get it. Thank you so much, Kevin. You are so kind. It's called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at EncounterBooks.com. Um, you know, if you buy it, let me know what you think. I'd love to discuss it. And, Kevin, thank you so much for having me and for all your kind words. It really means a lot to me. You know, I always, always enjoy it. By the way, check out Newsweek.com. It is so fresh, particularly if you look at it compared to the other, uh, you know, national news publications out there. It's so different and fresh. Uh, it's one of my favorites. So check that out, Newsweek.com. Batya Unger Sargon, one of my favorite people. Love having you on the show. I get excited because I see my schedule for the week. It's like, woohoo, look, I'm going to get to talk about you. That's awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Kevin. Talk to you soon. I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. More for you after this.